Hello, homies. I'm going to keep my intro super short because you are in for a treat with a episode chock full of information on why we have not been able to study homeopathy in Australia for a little while. And to bring us this information is the founder and owner of Switch On Health, the only college here in Australia where you can study to become a homeopath at present. Martin has got the down low for you on why this is, and I'm sure you're going to love the highs and the lows, and I have not laughed in an episode as much as this one. So let's jump right in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we are hanging out with naturopath, founder, and owner of Switch On Health right here in Australia, Martin Stone. Welcome, Martin. Hi, Eugenie. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a little while. You're a very busy man. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into natural health and how you discovered homeopathy and why you decided to do what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So look, this might sound kind of funny, but honestly, ever since I was a really young child, basically for as long as I can remember, I kind of had this innate knowing or, or sense that there was something about modern medicine that just did not sit right with me. Um, and, you know, I'd, I would never be able to explain why, but um, I always had that feeling, um, you know, growing up as a child, you know, I always thought, you know, this doesn't make sense. There's got to be a better way of managing our health. Um, and yeah, that seems to have been something that I was born with. Um, now, something that I guess to give you a bit of context about me and where I come from, um, I actually grew up with my mother um, in a wheelchair um, for my entire life. So when she was 20, uh, she was in a motor vehicle accident and experienced brain damage. Um, and this was before she even met my father. Um, so, yeah, for my entire existence, uh, my mother has always been in a wheelchair. Um, and, you know, I think you don't have to be a genius to kind of join the dots here and say, well, here's this, you know, this boy who grew up with this uh, mother um, who was in a wheelchair and somehow, you know, he was kind of drawn to a profession where he wanted to help people heal. So I don't really think it's a coincidence that I ended up becoming a naturopath, you know. Uh, I had this kind of slight scepticism, I guess you could call it, of the medical model and, you know, ways in which it doesn't really um, optimise health outcomes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I came from. So cutting a long story short, you know, I ended up studying naturopathy. The reason I chose naturopathy was basically because it was the biggest course, you know, it was the one with the most on offer. And I just wanted to learn everything. I just wanted to learn as much about natural health as I can. So, you know, this naturopathy course, it included nutrition, it included Western herbal medicine. And of course, it also included two years of training in homeopathy. So that was my first exposure to homeopathy. Um, and while I was a student, at some point in my studies, you know, as we all do, we're going through this healing journey ourselves as we're learning to become practitioners. We have our own healing journey that we go on. Um, so at some point, I went to see one of our lecturing staff um, for a homeopathic consultation, and um, she gave me a remedy. I've no idea, still to this day, I've no idea why she chose that remedy, really. <laughs> but anyway, you know, one remedy. Um, and the effect it had on me was that I just went through this kind of personality change, you know, it was really dramatic. And I thought it was amazing. I was like, wow, this feels awesome. Um, my housemates thought, you know, they they thought it was terrible. They were like, what, what is up with Martin? Like, who is this person? This is not the Martin that we know. Like somebody else is living in this house all of a sudden. Uh, but I felt liberated. And um, so, yeah, that for me, I was like, okay, well, you know, there is no doubt that obviously homeopathy works. You know, mm -hmm. you can't imagine or, or, or fake a personality change, mm -hmm. but that's, that's what it felt like. Um, so that's that's really me, natural medicine, homeopathy, 
Um, after graduating as a naturopath, um, I was in practice um, for you know a number of years. Um, but what I really knew I wanted to do, you know, what was really in my bones, you know, I knew that I really knew that I wanted to teach. And, you know, for me, it was, I think, you know, this is where I can be of most service, you know, because as a practitioner, um, I was really, you know, quite kind of happy for a while, sort of helping one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, When I started teaching, you know, it kind of dawned on me that, okay, you know, I'm not just doing one person at a time. I'm teaching and hopefully inspiring, you know, mm-hmm. a classroom of 30 people. And if they can go out and help one person at a time, mm-hmm. I've just really leveraged myself. Um, I got more and more involved in teaching and, and in other aspects at the college where I was working. And then I started to think, okay, well, what if I get into management and influencing the curriculum and the way the college works? And I've then got all these teachers and they're all going out and influencing 30 people at a time. <laughs> so I've leveraged myself again. So yeah, education, I loved it. Truthfully, I was actually better at education than I was as a practitioner. So, you know, really enjoyed it more, gravitated to it more, got more involved in education to the point where I ceased as a practitioner and really just focused entirely on in, in education. Mm-hmm. We need all the different aspects. We need people who are passionate about education. We need people who are passionate about clinical practice and about research and, you know, developing new products. It takes a team and we all have to do what really resonates with us. And then it comes naturally. And then that energy, you know, transfers from there. You said something in the beginning about deciding to do naturopathy because it had the widest range of things. I actually started out studying as a naturopath and I'm so glad I did because I love the wide base that I got with, you know, the herbs and we did a little bit of massage and we did some traditional Maori medicine because I was studying in New Zealand and uh, we did research papers. Um, There was just so many different aspects that we got to learn. So yeah, I'm really grateful that I had a little bit of that naturopathic background as well. I really like the um, the diversity of it. You, mm. know, you know, I tend not to like just doing one thing at a time. I, yeah. I'm one of those people that likes to do a lot of different things. You're, you're so right when you say, you know, there's many different aspects within mm. our profession. You know, we've all got our strengths. Some people are great teachers. Some people are great practitioners. Some people mm-hmm. are great researchers. You're right. We all do work as a team. And I'm passionate about education. No education is ever wasted. Any little bit that you learn is going to help you at some stage in your life for sure. Now, when did you start Switch On Health? And can you tell me just a little bit about some of the courses that you offer there? Yeah, sure. So um, Switch On Health first started in 2019. We offer four qualifications, nutrition, Western herbal medicine, naturopathy, and homeopathy. Um, And, you know, we are actually the only college in Australia um, offering an accredited qualification in homeopathy. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if you like, I can tell you the I story. I was about to yeah, ask you to go into that. So why on earth in a country the size of Australia and millions of people, are you the only place in Australia that has an accredited homeopathy course? That seems yeah. crazy. It is crazy. It is. <laughs> and yeah, what a great question. You know, we get asked <laughs> this question by people that are exploring, thinking about getting into the profession, thinking about studying with us. And they're like, hey, how come you guys are the only one? And look, it's a, it's a long answer. You know, there's We a- have lots of time. You just go okay. for it. You've got the floor. I'm going to sit back here with my drink and just listen. But you tell us, this, tell Australia and the world the story of why we are in this ridiculous scenario that there's only one amazingly great, I should say, college uh, teaching homeopathy. Fantastic. Thanks, Eugenie. So, um, yeah, look, what what I'll do is um, I'll I'll take you on this journey. You know, it's a bit like a fairy tale. You know, we're going to go like once upon a time, you know, back in the 1990s. We'll go back about 25 years. Uh, There's going to be villains on this journey, you know, so you can boo and hiss if you want to. (laughs) Um, There's going to be a happy ending at the end of it. Uh, There's definitely room for a sequel or two, you know. So, uh, yeah, if if we go back in time, Probably to about mid-1990s is a good good place to start, which is roughly when I first started studying naturopathy or actually started with uh, remedial massage before that. For someone like myself, you know, wanting to get into the profession, there were back then lots and lots of different colleges, um, all offering various different 
diplomas and certificates and advanced diplomas, you know, naturopathy and homeopathy and botanical medicine and oriental therapies and massage courses. And it was just like this smorgasbord of natural therapies on offer. It was absolutely wonderful. And many of these colleges, a lot of them, a lot of very small colleges, a lot of colleges run by practitioners, experienced practitioners who naturally wanted to pass on their knowledge to the next generation. And for the most part, this all worked pretty well, really, this really sort of diverse educational environment that we had. Now, there was one potential problem <laughs> with all of this, and this was a problem the government perceived back then. And the potential problem was that, let's say you had two colleges and they were both offering, let's say, an advanced diploma of homeopathy, for example. There was nothing that really said one qualification might not look quite different to the other one. So if you were choosing between colleges, college ABC, their diploma of homeopathy might look a little bit different to college XYZ and their diploma of homeopathy. So potential problems for customers, I suppose, choosing somewhere to study, potential problems for employers. If they have two candidates, they've both got what looks like the same qualification on paper, but it might actually be quite different what the person did at each college. So this was the, the potential problem that the government identified. Now, in practice, it actually wasn't really an issue. <laughs> and the reason why was because our profession or our industry was pretty self-regulated. It still is pretty self-regulated, really. So all the different colleges offering their different diplomas, you would want to know that when you graduated with your qualification, that you would be recognised by an association such as the Australian Traditional Medicine Society or the Australian Homeopathic Association. So our different representing associations, they would provide their criteria, basically, and colleges had to make sure that their courses met those criteria um, because if they didn't, their courses wouldn't be recognised and nobody would study with them. <laughs> so even though there wasn't this kind of official standard, I guess, of what a qualification should be. In practice, this self-regulation of our profession actually worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. But government being the government, they want to get involved, right? Like, well, we can't just have all these industries self-regulating themselves. That's no good. Uh, because I'll say it wasn't just natural therapies where we mm -hmm. had this. It was pretty much all trades or all vocations, like what I call the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. So the government said, okay, we've got to make sure that there's this consistency and this, this national standardization so that all the qualifications, they've all got the same name, they've all got exactly the same components, they're assessed in the same way. But if you switch from one college to another, there shouldn't be any doubt about what you've done and what you haven't done. So this is what the, the government set out to do, basically, like standardize all our qualifications. Mm -hmm. So we've got a little bit of uh, audience participation here. And it's probably safe, even if you're listening to this while you're driving, a <laughs> bit of audience participation. Okay, everybody, are you ready? So hands up if you think the government ever does a really great job. Okay, so that's why I said it's probably safe to do this if you're driving. Because <laughs> nobody's putting their hands up, probably. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't just caused a, you know, a pile up crash. on the highway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I think you're safe. I think you're safe. <laughs> Thanks, Eugenie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what happened was that, you know, the government, you know, got various reference groups together and got a bunch of people, so-called experts, to sit around tables and decide, okay, this is what a qualification has to look like. If you're going to study homeopathy or baking or candlestick making or whatever it is, this is exactly what your qualification has to look like. Mm -hmm. So the government went ahead, they, they rolled out these qualifications. And the problem is that what we got from the government, this, this sort of end result, these new standardised qualifications looked absolutely nothing like what colleges were actually doing at the time. And they looked nothing like what our associations said we should be learning. So 
like the Australian Traditional Medicine Society and the Australian Homeopathic Association, the experts, all the people mm-hmm. that are actually out there in the field, years of experience. I don't know if they were even consulted, um, but yeah, the qualifications that were rolled out did not resemble the reality of mm. what everybody in, in, in the industry said you should actually be doing when you go to college and, and get qualified. Mm-hmm. Quite amazing, huh? Yeah, it is, and it's not. <laughs> it's kind of expected. <laughs> not yeah, much has yeah. changed since the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. So the what we ended up with these qualifications that were sort of organised into what are called training packages. So there was a health training package, which contained all the qualifications related to health, not just natural therapies, but other you know, health qualifications, allied health and so on. Mm-hmm. And all of these qualifications were made up of things called units of competency. Anybody that's worked in vocational education that's listening to this, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. These units of competency, they look like they're written in another language and it was very hard for people to really understand what they were supposed to be doing, (laughs) how they were supposed to somehow adhere to all of these new training package rules that were introduced, Mm -hmm. which looked absolutely nothing like what industry said, you want to be accredited by us, this is what you've got to do. So we've got a very awkward marriage. We've got what the government is saying you have to do, and then you've got what where you know what everybody says well actually no this is the way it works and mm-hmm. yeah the two the two don't meet in the middle basically so these qualifications were first released in 2002 so we've gone from the mid 90s roughly mm-hmm. to about 2002 and when these qualifications came out there was no big hoo-ha no uproar there was no big shakeout nothing like that things for a while kind of went along pretty much how they had been mm-hmm. I think that for a lot of colleges there was probably a bit of denial oh, I don't know what this is so I'm just gonna pretend it doesn't exist mm-hmm. <laughs> probably a fair bit of confusion because hey what are these qualifications that don't mm-hmm. really look anything like what we're doing and how are we supposed to adhere to these new rules mm-hmm. and yeah probably a you know lack of clarity so things kind of muddled along for a few years and when we get to 2007 so qualifications have been around for five years now in 2007 we had the introduction of vet fee help So VET stands for Vocational Education and Training. And for anybody that's not aware, VET fee help is essentially a loan from the government so that you're able to study, which is great in principle, because let's say you want to be a homeopath, you want to follow your dream career, you don't necessarily have the 25,000 or whatever it was the college was charging. So the government is going to loan you the money to be able to study You can get qualified as a homeopath. This all sounds really great. Get qualified as a homeopath. And the best bit of all is that you don't actually have to pay the government back until you start earning over a certain threshold. So back then it might have been $50,000 or something like that. So, you know, the vet fee help scheme on the face of it is wonderful because it gives people the opportunity to study, get qualified, get out there, make a difference in the world. So something we've got to know about vet fee help is that the government doesn't actually give the money to you. They give the money to the college. Now, some people might be able to see where this is going, but I've got this little expression, which is where the government money flows, the crooks follow. And unfortunately, It didn't take too long for some business people, I'll I'll call them that for (laughs) a better word, (laughs) uh, for some business people to get this kind of like ching ching, like dollar signs in their eyes, like, okay, how can we ride this government gravy train? Because the more people they sign up to these courses, the more of this fee help money that they collect Mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually matter where the person is suited to the course. It doesn't really matter whether they actually finish the course or not. As long Mm -hmm. as you can get people in the door, at least Mm -hmm. on paper, the college collects the the money from the government and happy days for them. Mm -hmm. So we started to get, I suppose, um, 
a bit of an influx of people with these motives acquiring colleges. So we started to get colleges being bought, some of these sort of small mile and par practitioner-owned colleges. These colleges might then acquire other colleges. So we kind of had this amalgamation or, or consolidation. So we started to see smaller colleges just disappearing and a kind of concentration of larger colleges, especially colleges who are eligible for vet fee help. If you weren't a vet fee help provider, which is quite kind of difficult to get without mm-hmm. fairly significant resources, there's no way you could compete as a small college with these big players, really. So this is how, you know, we, we first started to see, okay, you know, some of these colleges small traditional family-owned colleges, for example, are starting to disappear. We're starting to see owners of new owners of existing colleges um, with their eyes really pretty well fixed on the bottom line, not necessarily on homeopathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they probably don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> and some people kind of get a bit more greedy. So typically as a, as a business, these colleges would start to employ sales agents and the sales agents would go out and try to recruit as many students as they could. And of course, as a sales agent, how do you get paid? Commission. You get paid on commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. So the more people you sign up, the more money you put in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get sales agents in shopping centers, for example, you know, smiling, charming people that would say, hey, did you know you can study this and you don't have to pay the government back and mm-hmm. unless you're earning a certain amount of money and so on. When shopping centres might not have been lucrative enough, they started to hang around outside Centrelink. So mm-hmm. people that are, I guess, more vulnerable to begin with, hey, sign here, we'll give you a free iPad and you don't even have to pay the government back unless you're earning over $50,000 a year. I'm sure that some Centrelink customers would have thought, okay, fantastic. I'm getting free iPad. I've Sounds like a great deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can imagine that until somebody, until the government kind of wisens up and intervenes, things just get worse and worse. And we've heard some terrible stories, sales agents going to Indigenous communities and signing up four people in the same household mm-hmm. to a course. And I don't know what these people were bribed with. They probably didn't even know what bit of paper they were signing. All they yeah. knew was they were getting a free laptop or mm-hmm. whatever it might have been. So this this vet fee help scandal, I guess we could call it, continued. We had thousands of students. This is where we get to boo and hiss if anybody's still boo. playing along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting here so shocked because, um, yeah, I didn't know any of this. So it's you've already yeah, opened my eyes. Don't. Yeah, yeah I'm too. I'm don't. too stunned to to make a sound. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thousands, like literally thousands of students incurred debt for courses that they never completed. So some people probably didn't even know, even though they were actually signed up for a course. And I, I wish I could say this was an exaggeration, but it's not. Mm-hmm. But this whole vet fee help wrought it's the people that have paid for it eugenie Mm -hmm. you me your listeners anybody that pays taxes you know we've paid for this and our taxpayer dollars have gone straight into the pockets of these people some of whom even fled the country once their pockets were full this is how bad it was and you know it's estimated that this vet fee help scandal has actually cost the, the taxpayer hundreds of millions of dollars. That's how big it was. So, yeah, boo hiss. <laughs> <laughs> That's really shocking. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, it's, I, I wasn't even sure if I should be talking about this today because it actually makes me feel a little bit icky and a little bit... Mm-hmm sick that this went on. I think it's really important to get the message out there. We need to know Mm. what's going on. I've only been in Australia five years, so I don't know if if this all made the media or whatever, but it's really good to Mm. know this and also so we can learn from it and hopefully hope yeah, hopefully make better choices later on. But I'm sure you're going to tell us how Switch On Health came in. So um, we're waiting waiting for the happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get there. So uh, yeah, you're right. All all of this, it's all part of the context. It's all Mm -hmm. part of the background, like how did Switch On Health come to be, Mm -hmm. basically. And this is all part of the context, Mm -hmm. the environment in which we're operating. Mm -hmm. 
So look, it took the government a while, but they did start to wise up to what was going on. And you start to get journalists blowing the whistle on these sorts of things. And Mm -hmm. eventually you get more public awareness and the government has to do something and they realise, okay, well, this scheme that we had to help people get qualified and out there into the workforce has backfired because Mm -hmm. we've just made some people very rich. So anyway, government starts to wise up to what's happening. They need to do something. We start to get more frequent and more strict auditing of Mm -hmm. the colleges to make sure that they're doing the right thing. So in a sense, this is good. We want auditors, especially if we've got colleges that are not doing the right thing. Um, Now, remember I said before that these qualifications didn't look anything like what we thought a qualification should look like. So I don't know if you can imagine being a college owner, you're being audited, you're in this environment where the government has to be seen as cracking down and getting tough on Mm -hmm. these rogue operators. Auditors come along, their auditing qualifications don't make sense. They don't necessarily produce good at graduate outcomes. They don't match what your accrediting association says he has to do. But the auditor, and the auditor is definitely not a homeopath, the auditor is somebody who's coming along saying, show me where you've dotted letter I and crossed letter T. And if you haven't done these things, oh boy, Mm. there's going to be trouble. So it became a really difficult environment for colleges to continue operating in. A lot of colleges basically would have closed their doors because they were out. Like mm. It was just not worth uh, the risk. Even if you were doing the right thing as a college owner, the conditions in which you were operating were so mm. difficult that, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of colleges closed down. And that's basically how we got from, say, 1995 to about 2015 or so. All of those small family-owned practitioner colleges, Mm -hmm. they're gone. What we're left with is a very concentrated, small number of larger colleges, basically Mm -hmm. the ones that have survived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a tricky one because as you were saying about the government giving guidelines on what needs to be taught, I was like, just, I, I know there's a happy ending in the end, but I'm just getting really stressed because I'm thinking as a homeopath, if you are being told what you need to learn by somebody that's not a homeopath themselves and at least have a few years clinical experience under their belt, you are setting yourself up for disaster because homeopathy, especially, I can't talk about any other profession, but it's just so specialized. It's so broad. I mean, most people don't even know what homeopathy is, let alone trying to uh, write guidelines for how you need to teach it to somebody. So unless it's a professional homeopath or somebody that's in the industry knows what it is, it, it's just actually madness to expect you to adhere to guidelines put down by somebody that is not in the, in the industry themselves. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you've got some good news for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I will say that the, the saving grace here is the people that worked in these colleges, the lecturing staff, the people that are practitioners. I've got to say like all the teaching staff I've ever worked with, passionate about the future of our profession. And they would work their guts out to ensure that even though we were in this crazy context with these hoops we had to jump through and things that didn't make sense, when it actually came to, okay, guys, the classroom door is shut. I'm going to tell you how it is. You know? <laughs> how it really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like God bless, like all the practitioners out there, all the people working in education, not even just the teaching staff, but most of the administration staff and Mm. some of the college owners and basically anybody that was involved, most of the individuals really did have good intentions Mm -hmm. and really did their best to ensure that despite all this madness, the students were still getting a a good deal and we were producing good Mm -hmm. practitioners. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, how on earth did we get to a stage where we couldn't study homeopathy here? And thank goodness for you guys coming into the rescue. I actually, I have mentioned it on the podcast with Peter Berryman, I think, but I didn't actually know about Switch On Health. I have to admit until uh, earlier this year when a client came in and she said, "Uh, you have helped my son with his autism so much that it's inspired me to go and study homeopathy. And I found this college in Australia. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Australia? Because as far as I knew, due to the NHMRC report and the fallout from that, which we chat about in the podcast with Jerry, I had no idea that you could study homeopathy in Australia. As of 2019, actually Sharon, who's the homeopath 
wife that works with me, she was in the last cohort of homeopaths. And I think she qualified in 2018. And that was the last yeah. time, as far as I know, that you could study homeopathy. So when I heard this, I just I had to get in touch with you. <laughs> Thanks, Eugene. So tell us all the goss. (laughs) Oh, look, um, so everything that I've said so far, all this stuff about Fet Fee Help, I guess this is like the A plot or the A side of the story. Mm -hmm. There's actually a B plot or or B side of a story. So something else I have to tell you about this, give you the full picture. Something else has been happening in a parallel universe. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell that you're a great educator because you're so fun to listen to. Thanks, Eugenie. I don't know. I hope your listeners will get this. They will if they're as old as me. You know, like in these old movies when you get this kind of xylophone noise, like, and the picture goes all wavy and they kind of go into this dream. Yeah, so this is the parallel universe. (laughs) I love it. I I can completely visualise it. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm glad you can. So uh, meanwhile, we've got all this fit fee help stuff going on. But meanwhile, like really literally running it parallel alongside this, for the past 10 years or so, we've had quite a concerted um, effort from some of our stakeholders and some of our peers within the profession who want to see the, the minimum standards, like entry requirement to become a homeopath, to not be an advanced diploma anymore, but to be a bachelor. And yeah, some people think this is the way we should go. And some people think we shouldn't. I won't get too involved in it. I, I know personally, I know some of the people that do think that a bachelor should be the minimum. I've got full respect for them. Like I really respect them as our peers and as professionals. I understand their reasons, what they think the benefits would be. They've definitely got good intentions. They think that this really is the way we want to go. I don't agree with everything, but uh, yeah, fully respect and understand uh, all the reasons behind this. Mm -hmm. And actually, just as an aside, I'll, I'll, I'll just add this in because I think this is actually really important as well. So I think that uh, a lot of the a lot of this push to get the bachelor as a minimum is kind of a stepping stone towards statutory registration because at the moment homeopaths and naturopaths are not registered we're not registered health professionals mm-hmm. and it's quite a contentious issue this is something that gets practitioners all fired up because some are strongly pro-registration and some are strongly anti-registration. But I think the people that want registration, we're, we're only going to get that if we actually have everybody qualified at a bachelor level. Until we get that bachelor in, we're not going to be able to then go ahead and get registration. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the, the motivation. Now, a recent development, I think something that people have become a lot more aware of recently is that an implication of being a registered health professional, somebody who is regulated by APRA, is that you could be mandated mm. uh, to have vaccination. So I think that there's, there's probably people who have thought that this is the way we want to go. Registration is going to be good for us. They may not have been able to you know, see into the future, mm. see what's happened in the last 12 to 24 months when we said, okay, part of the package Part Mm. of the deal with registration could mean that you're basically obliged to do what all these other registered health professionals mm-hmm. are obliged to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, Can I just add one little bit in there that mm-hmm. in 10 years of clinical practice, not one client has ever asked me my qualification. Nobody has ever come to me because of my qualification. They have only ever come because of word of mouth of their friends getting better and they want to get better too. And that's why they come and see me and nobody has ever asked my qualification. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know that there's a whole argument about bachelor mm. or not, but just saying yeah. people don't come to see you because of your qualification; they come to see you because you can help them. Yeah, that's absolutely. my two cents worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, there's there's definitely there's pros and cons, and yeah, hopefully you're going to get other people on the podcast who I'm, I'm definitely not going to try to talk for them. Go they'll, down that. They'll be able to present, <laughs> be able to present their their reasons Views, and their, yeah. Their, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in this parallel universe, we've had people basically doing a lot of work behind the scenes to remove these advanced diplomas from the health training package. Because once you've got rid of the advanced diploma, um, 
basically by default, what you're left with is a bachelor. If there's no advanced diploma, well, then you have to go and study the bachelor instead. Mm. So eventually, after all this work going on behind the scenes, the decision was made to remove the advanced diplomas from the health training package in 2015. This was not just for homeopathy, but also naturopathy and Western herbal medicine and nutrition. So if you didn't enroll by the end of 2015, then that was kind of it. And if you were enrolled, you had until the end of 2018 to graduate. And if you didn't finish by the end of 2018, you basically got nothing. Wow. So, yeah, a <laughs> bit, bit of pressure for some people that were studying. Absolutely. It, it's definitely worth knowing about this because... Sometimes people say to me, oh, like basically the government is trying to get rid of homeopathy. And, and maybe they are. <laughs> Part of this, the removal of these advanced diplomas has actually come from inside uh, quarters within our own profession. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And what's happened is as, as part of this move, the people that wanted this to happen, as I say, the best of intentions, there are some valid arguments and some valid reasons for this. But I don't think that the result and the way it played out was actually what they expected. And this comes back to all of these colleges shutting down this concentration into a very small number of providers. Mm -hmm. So when we come to 2019, so this is where we are now on our mm -hmm. journey. We're now in 2019. There's no more advanced diploma. Mm -hmm. Where do you go if you want to study? Um, so if you went to the ARO website, the Australian Register of Homeopaths, they would say, okay, Australian Register who do we recognise mm -hmm. you know, if you want to study? Uh, well, you could go to the UK mm -hmm. uh, and study with the School of Homeopathy, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Norland family. Mm -hmm. um, you could go to Greece and study with mm -hmm. George Patolkas, um, or you could go to Malaysia because there's a, a Bachelor of Homeopathy there. Mm. Um, so oh, what if I want to study in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and yeah. actually be with like-minded people and, you know, maybe catch up with somebody oh. for a study group. <laughs> In person. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oops. Mm. Yeah. There's like, oh, actually, there's nowhere left in Australia to study homeopathy. And yeah, I don't think that this was an expected outcome of this mm. move, you know, this, this push for a bachelor. Mm. Um, so let's look at, right, what happens if you want to get qualified as a homeopath, you've got to do a bachelor. Public universities in Australia, they won't touch it. And I think there are, they've got two forces, I suppose, um, that are going to prevent this from happening. One of these forces for public universities is going to be internal. So a lot of public universities have a medical school and their medical school is going to turn around and say, well, <laughs> you can't possibly, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen to our reputation as a university if you're offering homeopathy? You know, it's mm. going to be tarnished. Mm. Nobody's going to take a doctor seriously if they've got a bachelor of medicine from mm -hmm. the same university that offers homeopathy mm -hmm. so there's that internal opposition yeah. and then there's also external opposition from lobby groups such as the friends of science and medicine mm -hmm. and not everybody's heard of this lobby group they sound really friendly because you know, <laughs> they got the word friend friends of science medicine it all sounds lovely but these people want to see homeopathy disappear off the face mm. of the planet you know mm. and they will they've got some pretty influential figures individuals uh, mm. within this group and they will lobby hard to mm. ensure that homeopathy is definitely not in a public university they would say any university that offers pseudoscience, um, mm -hmm. as they, they call it, you know, should have their funding withdrawn. So yeah, public universities, not going to touch it. So this leaves private providers. Now we've got two providers that could offer a Bachelor of Homeopathy, both great colleges. I've worked for both of them. And the trouble is it really comes down to that sort of business decision because if it's not financially viable mm -hmm. to offer a course, they'll drop it. And they've mm -hmm. both got a history of just dropping things, you know, no longer offering them when they can't make the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, look, there's, there's no judgment from me here. This is just the cold, hard reality of the world in which we're living. You know, mm -hmm. if they can't, make money out of offering a course 
as a private business, why on earth would they do it? They're mm-hmm. just not going to do it. Understand it yeah. from the college's perspective as well, because at the mm. end of the day, they need to make ends meet. I mean, you can't run a course that's not financially viable. So I get it from that yeah. end as well. So we're finally getting to the bit that you've been waiting for, Eugenie. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here so patiently. <laughs> so, yeah, this is where Switch on Health comes in. So 2019. Yay! You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, confetti oh, across the screen. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> so um yeah 2019 you know there's no more advanced diplomas left basically switch on health opens and we we kind of looked at what was happening colleges disappearing courses disappearing no more opportunities for people to study if you wanted to study like you had to be living in a capital city basically so that instantly for a whole lot of people around Australia, makes the course unaccessible. And I thought this is not on, you know, like I want to do something about this. And our mission statement at Switch on Health is that everyone has the right to a happier and healthier life. Um, That is the core of who we are. Everyone has the right to a happier and healthier life. And so we said, you know what, we think Everyone should have the opportunity to be able to study. It doesn't matter where they live and you don't have to fork out $50,000 or $70,000 on a degree to do it. It's just making homeopathy and naturopathy just that little bit less accessible. And Mm. I don't think this is the way we want to be going. What do we want, really? What I want is more practitioners out there helping more people, Mm. changing people's lives. So we started off with three qualifications, so nutrition, Western herbal medicine, and naturopathy. Um, ATMS, the Australian Traditional Medicine Society, um, they were actually you know, in some ways they regard they were regarded by some as a bit of a black sheep because they did not vote for this bachelor being the minimum standard. They basically said, well, look, you know, this is what we think a course should include. And it doesn't really matter whether it's called a bachelor or an advanced diploma. Mm. So we designed courses free of all those training package constraints, which was so liberating. Mm. We basically sat around the table, uh, myself, qualified, experienced staff and practitioners. We said, okay, like blank piece of paper. What would a really great qualification look like? How would we structure it? What would it include? How would we deliver it? Like the works. And naturally, we made sure that we met those ATMS criteria. We actually went a bit further. So we didn't just do the minimum (laughs) to get accredited. We said, look, this is what we think a really good course would look like. So we went further than just the minimum sort of ATMS standards and Mm -hmm. started off with our three qualifications. And of course, I looked around and I'm like, there's nowhere to study homeopathy. And I really wanted to offer homeopathy. (laughs) I thought, you know what, like homeopathy is amazing. I am not going to stand here and just watch homeopathy in Australia just slide into oblivion because there's nowhere Mm. left to study it, Mm. like not on my watch. I'm going to do something about this. So get my passionate and dedicated staff together, people that love homeopathy. They love our students. They're passionate about the future of homeopathy. Right, Mm. guys. We're going to do it. What is our homeopathy course going to look like? Sat around, designed it, managed to get that one accredited by ATMS as well. So that's basically how we, how Switch on Health comes to be. Amazing. Only place offering homeopathy. And sorry, I'm I'm getting like, you know, but, you know, I want to see more homeopaths out there helping more people, changing more people's lives, Mm -hmm. you know. I personally don't really care whether their bit of paper says advanced diploma or bachelor. I just want to see more great practitioners and Mm. yeah, like I will do everything I can to make sure that we produce Mm -hmm. great practitioners who are going to go out there um, and really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Everyone has the right to a happier and healthier life. That's that's what I'm about. And that's what switch on health is about. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. What else can I say? (laughs) Um, That was so good, Martin. You are an incredible storyteller. I tell you what, it must be so fun listening to your lectures. I'm going to like come and sit in on some lectures just to listen to you. (laughs) You're more than welcome to. (laughs) Just really thank you so much with all my heart for having the balls to 
stand up and do this because it's not like, oh, yeah, we created a course. There is blood, sweat, and tears that goes into putting like something like this together and lots of money and lots of time and lots of sleepless nights, I'm very sure. So thank you for doing this because like you said, we need so many more homeopaths. And unfortunately, most of our homeopaths are over 60. We have very few young homeopaths coming through. And I have been so worried about what's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years as these homeopaths are retiring and we don't have younger homeopaths to fill the gap. So what you're doing is just absolutely amazing. And in our group of uh, hundreds of mums, there's already a few that have signed up with you and I'm so excited. And I hope many more will get in touch with you and sign up because Homeopathy is an amazing career choice with this past couple of years has shown us this more than than ever. We can yeah, do our consultations from anywhere in the world. There's Mary Greensmith. She, you know, is on a boat traveling the world doing consultations from her boat <laughs> via Skype and Zoom and everything else. So homeopathy really is the career for the future, I think. Mm. And our remedies taste wonderful. We have no issues with compliance, unlike some yucky herbs, sorry, naturopaths <laughs> and herbalists. Um, and the remedies are just tiny lights, you know, little bottles. We can easily post, express post it anywhere in the world. It's just such a wonderful modality to be using it's we've got some very interesting health things that are going to be popping up with some experimental procedures that are happening and i think homeopathy is one of the most powerful tools that we can use to help people so absolutely i am just so over the moon that you've done this you really need to be commended for it and yeah thank you so much for doing this and um, i really hope loads of people get in touch with you and study homeopathy is there anything else that you want to add martin before we finish off and can you tell people how to get hold of you Mm. as well most importantly Sure, absolutely. Well, look, you know, one of my staff, Sally, I remember when we first kind of started this, she said to me, homeopathy is medicine of the future. And we don't have to have people dying of the flu and so on. And I just thought, like, you're so right. Like, it really is. And I really believe that. And it's funny, because I'm kind of more a naturopath Mm -hmm. with my background. But I think homeopathy is amazing, and mm. there's a part of me that wishes I'd taken it further when I was studying. But- I'll tell you what, I work with a naturopath, I've got a naturopath in our clinic, and I often refer to her because sometimes you just need, even if it's short term, just those supplements or the herbs or whatever else, just to get a person back on track. And your remedies are only going to work as effectively as the person's diet or their gut health and all that. There's a place for everybody mm. in the sun. There's place for there's mm. space for all of us. We need to help each other and work with each other and cross-refer, and we need each other. How do people get hold of you? Yep. Okay. So um, they can check our website, which is just switchonhealth.com.au. Very simple. When you go to our website, you'll see that there's an inquiry form you can fill out um, to get in touch with us. If you want to, you can email us directly, just info at switchonhealth.com.au. Very happy to answer any questions you've got, any inquiries. We do also have a learning platform where you can access some of our content for free. And so you don't necessarily have to commit to a whole diploma if you want to you can just check it out we've got like free bits and pieces that are on offer for you so wow that's amazing yeah you can go in and explore and have fun and yeah hopefully it'll whet your Mm -hmm. appetite to take things a bit further but there's lots on offer and it's just a honor really it's it's just humbling to Mm -hmm. to be in this profession and Mm -hmm. I get inspired by our students journeys you know they're all on their own healing journey i get inspired by the practitioners the stories that i hear the way people's lives are changed Mm -hmm. yeah homeopathy Mm -hmm. rocks (laughs) it does (laughs) i'm probably preaching to the (laughs) Uh, so martin what are your top three homeopathic remedies for yourself and why like what are your three favorites and why Uh, there's so many remedies to choose from Yeah, look, what, what I really love about homeopathy is its ability to work on the mental, emotional mm. level. And I think that this is where we just wipe the floor with modern medicine. There's no equivalent. The top three remedies, I think, it, yeah, probably my first one would be Ignatia. If you think about, you know, how beneficial it can be for somebody when they're in that grief state. Grief is just everybody's worst nightmare, the thing that they really don't want, Mm. (laughs) they don't want to happen. Mm. And to have a remedy that can help somebody with grief, that's 
is amazing. It is amazing. And it doesn't suppress it. That's, I mean, I had that experience. I've said it in the podcast already, but when Mm. my dad passed away, like it doesn't suppress any of those feelings. It just kind of makes you just feel like it's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't used a homeopathic remedy before, but it just kind of makes you feel like you're going to be okay. It doesn't suppress. You can still feel that grief and that sadness, but on a lighter level. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I How remember, would you describe yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I remember as a student learning about the remedy and, you know, I remember our lecturer saying, you know, that there was this rubric for sensation as if lump in the throat. Mm. And I was like, there's a remedy for that? <laughs> it's, it's incredible, you know. I know what that lump in the throat feels like. I never knew there was a remedy for it. It's it's amazing. So, yeah, Ignatia, you know, I think, you know, for its ability to work, like there's there's no equivalent really mm. that you know no nothing else in medicine or whatever that could do that mm. um second remedy actually not really for its mental emotional aspects i think aconite mm. i just think it's so useful again coming back to one of, what one of my staff said about people don't have to die from the flu when somebody has that sudden onset high fever how different would things be if every house had like a little first homeopathic first aid kit and like oh, absolutely we're gonna get got. there we're gonna get yeah. there <laughs> You know, take aconite and you don't have to die of the flu, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the third remedy, maybe Natmer, I suppose, mm. again, for its mental, emotional aspects. And I kind of like this one because I think it it's really good for teenagers and puberty it can be such a rough time and obviously it's not a remedy just for teens. I think kids they're going through like the hardest time of their lives Mm. probably and they've got all these changes going on they're not fully emotionally developed enough to be able to manage everything really well and Mm. hey if it's a remedy that can help with that how how much better off would we all be yeah like Mm. you know i didn't discover homeopathy till i was older Mm -hmm. (laughs) i wish i'd had that when i was a teen that's all i can say I wish I had it all through my life from when I was born, like my kids. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of my son's first words was Aka, because he had a lot of aconite and arnica. And one of my daughter's right. first words when she was little was Rennie for remedy. <laughs> yeah, so they've only ever had homeopathy. Wow, that's amazing. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Oh, Martin, this has been so much fun. I've been looking forward to our chat for such a long time. And thank you so much for setting up this course. I'm excited for us to have loads more Aussie homeopaths coming through. And um, thank you for yeah sharing your knowledge with us today and taking us on this uh, amazing ride. It was lots of fun. <laughs> you had my emotions up and down and up and down again. <laughs> usually thanks 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 for having me i really enjoyed it and thank you listeners for listening to the end as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) and hopefully there was no car crashes (laughs) thanks martin chat with you soon (laughs) bye-bye